Hello, and welcome to the Space Coast Pet Podcast, the podcast for pets and the people who love them. Now, here's your host, veterinarian Dr. Roger Welton. Hi, pet lovers, and welcome back to the Space Coast Pet Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Roger Welton, a.k.a. Dr. Roger, coming to you from the Florida Space Coast. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, We do have an email question, well, not question, more of a statement that I will be sharing with you in just a moment, but I just want to touch on today's episode. I just came back from a conference, and I always come back very hyperactive from conferences, and uh, just loaded with new information, and there's... uh, Uh, A major topic in our industry that the ebbs and flows of it have really gone up and down in terms of of how we interpret it and what we are to do about it. It's about the obesity epidemic uh, that tends to be kind of, you know, among all dogs and cats, but, but particularly so among spayed and neutered dogs and cats. And uh, there is a potential strategy and the jury's still out but I just want to plant the seed because I've certainly the science behind it looks really good but uh, we, what we're looking at is a very special way to safely with good research behind it feed these animals and start that right out of the gate post spay neuter and ensure that they are less likely to be obese uh, the numbers are pretty astounding where you have 56% of dogs are, I'm sorry, spayed and neutered dogs are obese. And that that's astounding to me. Um, we have traditionally blamed the owners and the owners, they play some role in this, but we are learning that it's not entirely the owners, that there are physiological changes in these animals that do predispose them to that condition. Cats was really astounding greater than 60% of cats are obese um, and spayed, neutered. And you rarely see an unspayed cat or an unspayed, I'm sorry, a neutered cat uh, in veterinary practice because having an intact male cat uh, is can be unbearable. They spray, they want to escape. Uh, they can be a little bit more aggressive. They're not so cuddly. On the female side, they come into heat every two months nonstop. Uh, and of course, they're they're predisposed to to uh, mammary cancer um, more so than dogs even so you rarely see uh you know neutered or unneutered or unspayed cat in in practice because they're just very very difficult to live with but at any rate we're going to dive into that but first let's go to our listener email today this is from deborah and deborah did not include where she is from and i don't do last names but I'm sure she'll recognize her email. Real quick, I just want to preface this for anybody who's actually listening that sends me some of these emails. I have to sift through hundreds of them to arrive on an email, and maybe 10 of them are relevant to the show. But uh, if you are a blogger or a podcaster uh, that is trying to link get me to link back to you from my blogs or the uh, show page or want to be a guest blogger, please don't bother. I'm just deleting those. It's not what I'm, that's not the purpose of this uh, email address. It's, it's all about 
content and good feedback from our listeners that legitimately tune in to to uh, learn as much as they can and interact with us. So uh, please hold those uh, in the future because I just not going to answer them and it just prolongs the time I got to spend in finding good emails to address. But there were some legitimately really good ones. Uh, I'm getting more emails from listeners since we have uh, begun to podcast on a more consistent basis. I'm really excited about that. And today we have Deborah. So she, uh, she, she starts with uh, the statement, thank you for this episode. So I'm just going to tell you what the episode was because it was in her, in her subject. She wrote, thank you. Uh, when it is time to elect euthanasia for your sick pet. This was an episode done while we were, uh, I was still uh, podcasting with my co-host, Dr. Karen Lewis. We were, um, we were still called Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views. Uh, we've since rebranded and I'm still striving to get Dr. Karen back on the show. But uh, in the meantime, it's just been little old me uh, broadcasting to you. But Deborah, thank you for contributing, and here's Deborah's statement. It's less a question, more a statement, and I really appreciate her feedback. Thank you for this episode. I went through this with my Rottweiler a few years ago, and looking back, I know I let him suffer, and I have tremendous guilt about that. He was my first dog. I never had one growing up, and I was severely uneducated about end-of-life decisions for dogs. When it was time, the vet said to me very nonchalantly, you should consider when you want to put him down or something soft and wishy-washy like that. I remember staring at the ground and nothing more was said. I heard in my brain, I heard in my brain, I'm sorry, what I heard in my brain was, he still has time, quote unquote. They rushed me out of the bedroom and sent me on my way. What I needed, and she wrote needed in all capitals, was someone to look me in the eyes, which they did not, and tell me that my dog was suffering and I should put him down. I needed to be talked through it. I needed Dr. Karen and Dr. Roger. I was 32 at the time, so maybe they thought, since I was an adult that I should know more about this, but I didn't regret, but I, but I didn't, and I regret much about that situation. The reason why I'm listening to your podcast, specifically this one, is to educate myself so I can better make better decisions for my two current dogs when the time comes. I do not want them to suffer, and I want to be able to hear what the vet is saying, whether it is wishy-washy or firm and direct. It's my responsibility, I know that. So I'm educating myself and this episode has helped tremendously. While it is hard to listen to you because of my past experience, I'm determined to be a better advocate for my dogs when they need me the most. Thanks again for discussing this topic. Sincerely, Deborah. Again, don't do last names. So, profound uh, message here. I'd like to just start with Deborah. Clearly, you love your animals, and all of your decision making goes into the fact that you, or is predicated by the fact that you love your animals, that much is clear. Um, I'm also, I'm a pet parent and a human parent, and I can tell you that in both instances, I have not always done everything right. Do I have regrets across the board? Absolutely. We've all been there. You feel like you're jipping the animal, and let's face it, jipping ourselves when we feel like we're going to jump the gun too soon. Uh, to pull the trigger too soon, pull the plug, whatever we want to call it, when our pets have terminal illness. We have all been there. My parents have been there. Everybody who's loved an, an animals in their lifetime have been there, especially when you're a new animal owner. It is so difficult. You know, the more you go through this, the more, the more perspective you have 
and the more you're better equipped to make these decisions because what happens is we we learn from our experiences and those experiences will have a profound effect on how we move forward in the future so just remember whatever happened in the past um i it does sound to me like you your 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 veterinarian did not have as much of a frank conversation that he or she should have had um and and so i i do i do put some blame on that veterinarians not all of us communicate well that's a skill thankfully i was blessed with but many veterinarians are introverted they have a hard time delivering tough news it, they have a hard time even just communicating on a regular basis because their love is animals and their primary focus is animals because that's been their lifetime from childhood through all of their lives is they've relied on much of their happiness and companionship from animals because they're more comfortable with animals than they are people. And so having these frank conversations can be very, very challenging. And so while I'm saying you're, some of the blame lies in your vet, I don't want to beat up your vet too much either because it's hard. It's very hard. So Let's just go back to, uh, you know, let's learn from all, you know, everything we go through and just remember the experience, not in a way of regret, but in a way of just knowing you'll be better equipped next time to make that decision. And just for everybody, I'm not going to re revamp that whole episode because we got some things to talk about today um, on a different topic. But I will say this, the best statement I can make that was drummed into me in veterinary school and I, I, I live by it with my own pets and I am a veterinarian that could step in anytime and do what needs to be done. But this statement is profound. I would rather be a week too early than a day too late. And when you're a week too early, you know that at the very best, the palliative care, if there's, if it's even available, is you're kicking that can down a very short road and it's okay to do it sooner so the pet says goodbye with dignity so you can walk away with a much more peaceful goodbye. They're not gasping for air. They're not going through, you know, grand mal continuous seizures. They're not going through some of the horrific things we could see when we are actually absolutely pushed to that point where there is no choice. So just remember a week too early is better than a day too late because that day too late could be horrific for all parties involved. And I'll just leave it there. Um, but but thank you for the feedback. Thank you for letting me know. And I'll certainly let Dr. Karen know that this episode helped you and will have a, has had a positive effect um, and will help guide you through future tough decisions when the time comes. So I wish you the very best and thank you for your email. So today we're talking about Chubby, spayed, and neutered animals, and, and some are just egregiously, egregiously obese. And again, the owners often play play some role in that. But at the same time, I have managed to have spayed and neutered animals where you know I haven't had this problem. Uh, but I will I will say there are some some animals that I've had in my lifetime where. You know, keeping them there has been a, a bit of an extra challenge. I've, I've had to resort to, you know, prescription-level weight-controlled diets when I'm thinking to myself, well, you're so active and um, you're not that old and your metabolism shouldn't have slowed this much, and yet I'm having to take these extra measures at, like, five years old to keep you to keep you fit um, and healthy. And, and, and so we have to recognize that there is a definite, definite correlation between the spay and neuter procedure in both dogs and cats that that does predispose to obesity. So what are those factors? So up until recently, our 
all the, all the research and the studies were pointing to really not a reduction in basal metabolic rate, but more in a, a reduction in satiety. And by satiety, I'm referring to the the ability to feel satiated, to feel full. These, there's something about the hormones that have an appetite mitigating effect in uh, intact dogs that have the hormones. And that's even more so in the female. Um, the reason it's more profound in the female is because what does an f- intact female, you know, ha- have to do um, on, on, you know, when, when she's getting prepared for procreation? So coitus, when, uh, you know, she has to carry puppies, uh, she has to, you know, let's say uh, she was a stray dog living, you know, on a, in a third world country that does not you know, have an owner or or any support system. She's got to somehow feed those 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 puppies and somehow fight for them. And and so she can't be walking around, you know, a roly poly. And 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 uh, we we believe that there is sort of this uh, evolutionary process that kind of dates back to their more ancestral um, ancestral uh, evolutionary animals, such as the wolf. And they've kept some of that in their in their domestic state. Uh, whatever the case, we just know it's true. I, I, I do see so like intact breeding uh, females, for example, that not only come in fit, some of them are like a little bit more lean than I'd like to see them because they're just not food motivated when they're not pregnant. Of course, when they're pregnant, that changes. When they're rearing puppies and lactating and providing milk for their puppies, that changes. But then they have the puppies and they wean them and the puppies are gone and that female goes back to being you know a normally you know, non-food motivated, uh, animal. So, but that, that phenomenon also exists on the male side too, to a certain degree. And so satiety we thought was everything. And we thought, well, these owners see these beady little eyes staring at them so longingly and just wanting some more food so badly that they gave into them. And yes, that does happen. I've been guilty of that myself. So I don't, I don't beat up on the owners too much when they are, you know, looking at those eyes and they love them so much and they 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 can tend to overfeed them. Uh, just where I do start to get a little judgy is when, you know, I tell them year in, year out that your dog's overweight and, you know, there's going to be so many health problems that result from this uh, and you're going to reduce the life expectancy and yet the, the dog or the cat gets fatter every year, um, you know, and but... We're also recognizing that, to some degree, it, it's not entirely their fault um, because there's more to it than satiety, as it turns out. So there is a French-based veterinary pharmaceutical called Verbac. It's spelled V as in veterinarian, R. It's a weird spelling. V as in veterinarian, R B A K. I think is how they spell it. They make a ton of products. Uh, they're really, really good company. Um, they have recognized that. This is an issue, and the research that they have done has actually proven, finally, that there is a reduction in the basal metabolic rate in both dogs and cats that are that are neutered or spayed. And that reduction can range from 20 to 30%, as it turns out, especially as they start heading into middle age. Middle age for these guys is honestly three to five years old. You know, it's hard to wrap our heads around that. We don't hit middle age till, you know, our thirties, but yeah, middle age starts, um, a bit (laughs) profoundly sooner for these guys. Um, 
it, you know, the, these basal metabolic rate reductions are happening sometimes within just months of the spay-neuter procedure. And so you have a combi crazy combination of, well, I'm hungrier all the time, and oh, by the way, I'm going to burn calories slower, and it's this perfect storm of the result of obesity, and we, I can you know, go through all the health conditions that obesity predisposes to and commonly leads to, but that's not what we're here for. We're talking about strategically feeding these guys so that it doesn't happen. So how do we address these two issues? What, what, what is, let, let's start with satiety. So we don't have the beady little eyes tempting us to give them more food. Uh, how do you increase satiety in a diet? Well, one of the things that Verbex, they're actually spay-neuter uh, formulated diets that they have come out with that are just about, I believe they're uh, just about to hit the market. And um, they're not prescription level, but they're veterinary exclusive. You know, and, and, and again, the jury's still out. I can't wait to start, uh, you know, trying it on, on on certain patients. They have, they have feeding trials that are very very uh, com compelling. They have research data, and you know, a lot has gone into these diets. So when I say I can't wait to try them out, jury's still out. Uh, you know, their 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 scientific process is as good as any I've seen as far as getting to the final product. But um, you got to see it in real practice as well and how it applies to our everyday patients. So um, I have faith in the diets, but, you know, again, I got to see how they play out. I got to see how they're tolerated. I got to see how palatable they are. They tasty to the extent that, you know, cats especially can be challenging getting to them to eat something that on a consistent basis that is, is the right food for them. So there's a lot of things we got to take a look at, but, you know, unlike other pet food companies, the pharmaceutical, the ones made by pharmaceuticals um, that are therapeutic in nature tend to be very, very well researched. And that data is transparent and available uh, to anyone who wants to look at it. And certainly it's, they, they actually show the data to veterinarians um, because we're not going to believe anything at face value. It's just not going to happen. So on the satiety side of it, what they're doing is increasing the protein level um, not like crazily, uh, you know, some of, some of these, this notion that we have to feed ridiculous amounts of protein to these animals so that like we're seeing in the boutique style diets that are like, you know, approaching hot 28, 29% protein, 30 plus percent protein. That's actually not good for the patient because that can lead to other issues. And so there's more to the story than just increasing the protein. We're talking about increasing in a few percentage points. The, uh, one of the things about protein as a nutrient is the body has to go through a, uh, a system of breaking down the macro protein into smaller absorbable segments called peptides. Peptides are absorbed, but then they have to be repackaged and then integrated into metabolic processes and tissue building. And then from there, there is a waste product associated with any protein that the animals eat, including us. And those waste products have to be sent to the liver, put in a minimally toxic form, which are then sent to the kidneys, and the kidneys will urinate them out. And all of that process takes energy. It, it takes calories. So utilizing calories from protein burns more calories than utilizing calories from fat or simple carbohydrates. That's a known fact. Yet at the same time, we cannot have a pure protein diet. It's not healthy. It's not good for longevity. But increasing that lean protein uh, up a certain certain percentage points is part of the solution. So what's the rest of the solution? 
while the rest of the solution is including a higher percentage of soluble and insoluble fiber. So fiber is very important to both the canine and the feline diet. It maximizes digestion. It helps to contribute to good bowel movements. And yes, because it fills the belly in a minimally caloric way, it contributes to satiety as well. So by increasing protein, insoluble and soluble and insoluble fiber, we're maximizing satiety, but also maximizing digestion. And we've all experienced maldigestion. Digestion is so important. You know, 75 plus percent of the immune system resides in the gut. A healthy gut really is one of the keys to a happy life. You look at people that suffer from Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, other types of inflammatory bowel disease. It really puts a very big strain on their on their health because when you have an unhealthy gut, you never feel good. I know I have family members uh, that that you know and and good friends that that suffer from these conditions and and they're profound. And, and by the way, on, on the canine and feline side, same thing. We have. Uh, inflammatory bowel disease as well and 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 no soluble and insoluble fiber are not going to cure those per se because those are autoimmune conditions but let's say they have a tendency to have an irritable bowel or uh, malassimilation disorders that are not necessarily uh, requiring medication well soluble and insoluble fiber can be very helpful Um, in case in point we know a lot of people that have irritable bowel which is different from inflammatory bowel irritable bowel is gotta watch gotta watch what i eat but by and large my my dige- digestion is good as long as I'm careful. So, so comfortable digestion, good satiety, and let's talk about the the meta- metabolic side of it. So, why are we increasing basal basal metabolic rate? Well, when you actually have nutrient sources that require a, a higher level of energy to digest, and by the way, when you're looking at soluble and insoluble fiber, that falls into the same category is protein to a certain degree because the fiber the body is 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 actively breaking it down it doesn't succeed very well because a lot of it stays in bulk form but believe me it changes a great deal by the time it goes from the proximal gut to the hind gut and being eliminated so the body's working on that fiber yet deriving very few calories from it. So that's going to increase basal metabolic rate. The protein is increasing basal metabolic rate. Minimizing simple carbohydrates is raising the basal metabolic rate. Um, the, the fats that are present in these diets are healthy fats. They're, they're what we would call, quote unquote, good fat. Low in saturated fats, which are very readily absorbed by the body. Whereas if you have unsaturated fats, uh, the body has to work on those a bit more. Fats are essential to good health. I mean, having a no-fat diet is as bad for dogs and cats it is, as it is for people. Fats are necessary for good brain health. Fats are necessary for tissue building. Fats are necessary for cellular health. You know, the, 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 the base building block of tissues is cells, and cells need fat. In particular, the, the, the nervous system needs fat, but the right fat and and the more unsaturated a fat is, the better it is for the body from a basal metabolic rate standpoint. So all of these things combined, and what we're looking to do is let's get patients on these diets 
right out of the gate. Yeah, so when we spay, you know, we start them on a puppy slash kitten formulation. And I'm, I, you know, I'm going to come back to you on this topic probably six months to a year from now to kind of give you my own experience with these diets because I'm going to try them. It makes no sense not to. The, the data is so compelling and the science behind it is so compelling. But I'm going to come back to you on this and I'm going to talk about, okay, so what was the palatability like? Um, and my, my recollection is, I, you know, I do these talks without any notes, but my recollection was that there is kitten and puppy, for, there are, sorry, kitten and puppy formulas that are available shortly after the spay-neuter, um, and, and they still have a growth component to them so that we can get them on these diets right out of the gate. At what age exactly that is, uh, I, I don't recall exactly, but I'm going to come back to you with more specifics because I'm going to learn you know, a lot more about this as time goes on and uh, working in, in, in close uh, connection with uh, with our, our local Verbac uh, rep who's going to you know, come in and uh, she's she they, they do these things called lunch and learns where we all have lunch together in in our conference room and and kind of educate the staff and give us more literature and we always do that before we're going to consider the launch of a product but I'm pretty excited about it and really wanted to share it with all of you and you know in the context of I don't like being a cheerleader for any one pet food company um, you know yeah I, I really went back and forth in my own brain as to should I really be doing this because I, I don't I don't like to be that guy. I don't want to anyone to give get the impression that I'm making recommendations based on any kind of bias towards any one company for whatever the reason. But um, I felt that this is such an important topic and it is such an epidemic and it's something that has frustrated me maybe with the exception of skin allergies, <laughs> uh, has frustrated me more than anything uh, in my profession. And so I felt compelled to talk about it, to at least plant the seed and uh, start thinking about it. Maybe have conversations with your veterinarians. Hey, what do you think about these Verbac diets? And really, Verbac's not a, they're not primarily a food company. Uh, I, you know, as far as I know, this is, this is really their first venture into pet food. It's a very unique one and, and very interesting, but Verbac mostly is, it's legit pharmaceutical products that we're using to prevent flea and heartworm, uh, prevent uh, disease, treat disease. They have uh, all kinds of other things out there that make them very similar to a Zoetis or Merck Animal Health or Elenco and all you know, a lot of the other companies out there. They have just decided to go in this direction and, and present this new opportunity. So... Let's see where it goes. Uh, um, you know, whatever information I'm going to provide you in the future on these diets are going to com be completely based on my experience with them. I'm not going to sugarcoat any of it. And at the same time, if I find they're very good, I'm not going to be shy about telling you that they're very good. Uh, again, because I hope that you trust, if you're especially a longtime listener, that what I'm going to tell you about is is going to be based on objectivity and and, and no no bias because. Uh, one of the things that honestly is one of my biggest pet peeves is, you know, so I see some of these veterinarians that are just selling their soul and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to name names that are, you know, they're either on the internet or, or doing commercials and they just, it's just so petty looking to me. Um, and, and a lot of, a lot of times just, just disingenuous and, um, 
nothing nothing that I've ever been uh, interested in. <laughs> I want to I, I do these podcasts, uh, uh, you know, certainly to 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 have have a local promotional tool for for my my local clinics. Uh, but but mostly it's to come to you. I love my global audience, uh, reaching areas where you know there there sometimes isn't great access to veterinary care. I I, I get emails from I've gotten emails from Indonesia, for example, and uh, uh, Bogota, Colombia. I remember was one of them, and and then there's also some some rural areas that you know the the closest clinic is 90 minutes away, and they do the best they can on a daily basis to do what they need to do for to keep their pets healthy. So my, my, my strategy and my, my passion is, is to, to just give it to you straight and, and bias bothers me. So I just, I know I'm belaboring the point a little bit, but I had, I mentioned a company and it, I, I do it with a great deal of discomfort, but again, we'll be visiting this in about six to 12 months. And if you're a regular listener, then, um, you know, you'll hear from me again on this and uh, that's, that's all I got for you today. So let's, Let's take a look at reducing uh, reducing the the tendency for our spay neutered animals to to be obese. Again, I have managed. I'm just going to tell you this. I have managed to keep fit animals, and I've had many. And I'm including cats on this. I know cats are tough because they're so lazy as they get older, <laughs> sleeping like 24, 23 out of 24 hours a day. But I've managed to do it. I'm not lying to you. I've, I've had fit dogs all my life, and I've done whatever it takes to keep them there. I can't say in a few it hasn't been a struggle, and it's probably for the reasons that we talked about, reduced metabolic rate and uh, satiety issues. But my big thing is I don't give in to the satiety issues. And as much as it, you feel like you're being mean – um, there are some animals that you're just not going to satisfy them ever. Maybe even on these diets. I'm going to give you one last example or one last thought, which is an example. Uh, one of the one of the breeds I have a, a passion for is Labrador Retrievers. What is the Labrador Retriever mo? They are not satisfiable. <laughs> you are you will never satisfy a lab. You could feed them three pounds of food and they'll still be walking around. You know licking their bowl clean to start with and then sniffing around for more food and maybe walking over to steal the cat's food and walking over to steal the other dog's food. You cannot satisfy them. It's just impossible. There's something about that breed that are in New Jersey what we call gavones. They're just gluttons. And so we'll see, you know, how well Verbeck does satisfying these guys because if, if you can satisfy a Labrador Retriever, that is a that is a golden diet right there. So, um, you know, that's another thing too I'm going to be looking at. Well, how are we going to do with labs? Can you really can you really make my lab less of a less of a beggar? Well, time will tell. At any rate, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate the emails. Keep them coming as long as they are not requests to link back or write me articles. No thank you. Not going there. Uh, send me stuff that I really want to contribute to the show. Good questions, episode ideas. That's the good stuff, and that's what I'm looking for. Take care, everyone. Have a great one. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the Internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.